When the show ends, the soundtrack continues on Spotify. People are turning to podcasts and playlists to dive deeper into whatever they just watched. And on Spotify, they're not just listening. They're learning, discovering, and engaging with content. With Spotify advertising, your message is part of these moments. Head to ads.spotify.com to reach your audience as they stream what they love. Welcome to another episode of Strictly Business, the podcast in which we talk with some of the brightest minds working in the media business today. I'm Andrew Wallenstein with Variety. One month into the global pandemic, Universal Pictures was the first to bypass theaters and release select films via streaming. Now in November, the Comcast-owned movie studio is testing the market all over again with movies for a new hybrid window that straddles theaters and homes. It's fair to say 2020 has posed interesting challenges for my next guests, Universal Pictures marketing chiefs Michael Moses and Dwight Keynes. Variety has just awarded them this year's Marketing Visionary Award presented by Spotify, and Spotify is also the sponsor of this episode of Strictly Business. Thanks for coming on the podcast, guys. Thanks for having us. Thank you. It's an understatement at this point to say COVID upended your business. Suddenly, dozens of movies scheduled over dozens of months to come in thousands of multiplexes worldwide has to be completely rethought. Michael, you've been at Universal for 20 years. Has what COVID brought to the table as challenging and interesting a dilemma as you've faced in that time? Uh, but by a magnitude, uh, I think. So absolutely, uh, it's not unique to our business, but it, but our business definitely felt it in uh, in some pretty dramatic ways, uh, as as we've seen and are still under, uh, you know uh, undergoing. So even though you know we are in kind of an LA bubble uh, with that hasn't had theaters uh, over the course of the last eight months, there's some signs of life out there once you get beyond that, but. For the most part, we are still contending uh, with, as you said, the upending of, uh, of uh, a business that we had gotten uh, very used to doing in one way and had to quickly uh, adapt to some very new ones. So let's talk about one of the first ways that adapted. It started with the unthinkable, taking movies like Trolls World Tour and King of Staten Island and keeping them out of theaters and letting people stream them at a completely different price point, what's what's referred to as premium VOD. So, Dwight, break down for us exactly, that's got to mean a lot of changes to a marketing campaign. What are some of the key shifts when you make a move like that? Well, you know, we were in flight. This was a full theatrical campaign. We had partners and uh, uh, talent doing work to release in theaters. Uh, and this was in the, the middle of March, and our, our, our chairman, Jeff Schell, um, not only announced that we would be moving to a work-from-home scenario at about mid-March, but he also uh, announced that we'd be moving the movie to a, a premium format in the home. Uh, so you can imagine, in launching a campaign on April 10th, which was the original theatrical date, we kept that date. We had a lot to do. So we had to reconfigure our media balance, right? The mix between linear TV and digital. We had to collaborate with our home entertainment colleagues to get up to speed on the retail partners who would help facilitate those transactions in the home. And we had to figure out how to make our publicity activity remotable. How are we gonna take away the live uh, in-person events, premieres and junkets, 
and and facilitate those remotely. So a lot a lot to do in a short period of time. Uh, absolutely, and and you know as as from the consumer perspective, it's interesting to see the differences. You know, starting with it's interesting to see URLs get. Uh, front and center of marketing campaigns now where you've got these, you know, buytrollsmovie.com where the transactions take place. Uh, how does it change things when all of a sudden everything is pushing to a website? You know, I should let Michael answer that because <laughs> given my digital background, it's one of the things that we, you know, uh, playfully kid around about because I'm always vying for some call to action in the TV spot. Uh, but you're right. We don't, we don't, put URLs or things like that in, in spots anymore. That's kind of uh, a legacy behavior. <laughs> uh, you know, Dwight said it, it's, uh, I, I'm all for purity and clarity uh, when it comes to this and not, and not, not cluttering uh, the message. But we were at a moment where we not only had to continue to market the movie, but we also had to, uh, you know, address consumer behavior that this movie that up to then we were saying was coming to theaters was now uh, going to come into the home. And so we knew there were, it, w with everybody stuck at home, there were people that were used to transacting in the digital space. And there were a lot that this was a completely new, uh, new format for. So the URL or what we call the landing page was really meant to make that, that, uh, that funnel, as we call it, as, as frictionless as possible, just to lead uh, anybody that was seeing the spot kind of directly to where they could find the movie. And now that you've got some experience on this front, I'm curious, where are people by and large transacting when it comes to premium VOD? Because there's options. There's your pay TV provider. Uh, maybe there's electronic sell through and any patterns that give guidance as to how this is working? Well, look, there's there's some big players uh, and these players also offer um, library product and for subscription streaming products. So if you think about Amazon, who has the largest share, one of the things that we needed to do was compete with everything else they have on their shelf. So if you're a Prime member, you could get movies within that subscription. But this, as you mentioned, was a premium price point. It was $19.99 and it had to feel like an event and a very premium product. So if you think about the you know the top providers on the on the digital side, it's 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 Amazon, it's our own uh, Fandango plus Voodoo, which was acquired by Fandango. It's Apple, um, Comcast, and Xfinity, and and a whole host of platforms. And so when when we say we're going to bring it to you in the home, it's not through one specific platform, but it's where you typically transact. And to Michael's point, people weren't transacting in this way. So we had to take them uh, to a platform they, they use and coach them on behavior that they didn't necessarily have. Well, whatever you guys did, it worked. We know at least one time Comcast shared publicly the Trolls World Tour earned an astonishing $100 million in its first three weeks. Looking back, was there anything you guys did in the marketing that you think was key to that success? Um, I'll jump in. I, you know, I think it was uh, just as it was with the decision to shift the pivot, the movie into the home. I think decisiveness uh, was, was a real key that that we all sat uh, our theatrical team and our home entertainment team and decided we needed clarity of messaging. And uh, and part of that, the, the, in that digital space, there is a 
there is no consistency. Uh, some platforms use home premiere. Some uh, we had to compete against streaming and what that means because we weren't a streamer. We had to, uh, as Dwight says, put the P in PBOD. And so we just decided on very simple on-demand messaging as the clearest way through. And then we, uh, with the landing page and through other tactics, tried to, again, simplify uh, that consumer journey in a way that was invisible, but, uh, but let us lead them to the movie and helped us gather data to really know who our audience was and how they transacted so we could inform later campaigns as well. How big a game changer, though, is that data? Because I assume you're, you're seeing quite a different mix than what you get in a typical theatrical distribution. You know, we normally have a, a, a habit of retargeting consumers during the campaign flight, right? And, and then driving someone who watched a trailer with an ad to a ticketing page to go see that movie in a theater. We, we did have to pivot and say, if you visited this landing page, and clicked on anything or spent any time there, we had to find you later and let you know where you could do that transaction. So it was a game changer because we introduced this new product. We were trying to coach behavior. And when the customer went away from that page, we could have just lost them. And so our, we, have, we have a data team that is uh, headed up by a gentleman named Chris Massey. And he had this, this roadmap that, that Michael and I uh, sort of blessed what he'd be doing in the next 12 months. You know, <laughs> he had to accelerate and do all of that work in six months or less just to be able to get us ready for this moment. But the data is is very important and, you know, happy to say it's, it's a, a, an important note. We're compliant with regard to privacy and staying on top of uh, all of the ways in which we can retarget customers uh, safely and appropriately. And I'm curious, is the data also perhaps telling you that one size doesn't fit all when it comes to uh, releases like this and the genre of movie? Meaning, you know, Trolls World Tour worked well. It's a family movie, but you guys have put comedies out this way. You've put out horror this way. My guess, based on nothing, (laughs) is that, though, you'd be seeing some very different patterns depending on film. Is that true? Yeah, listen, it's about it's about the demand by an audience for that property and how the property, how the movie fulfills that need. So in a lot of ways, it's it's you know, we like to say the job changed because of how we were delivering where you could see the movie. But the job was the same in the the sense that we got to get you to choose this movie. Right. So um, Trolls came at a moment when families were probably just experiencing that anxiety of being at home, their world was upended um, and they needed something to do. And I, I think, you know, because it was not like our, our current hybrid release pattern where we have a theatrical and a PVOD, it, it was one of the only things that you could do uh, in that early part of, of the pandemic. And I, I you know, we, we, we're certainly not, um, uh, we certainly understand that we probably got some lift out of that, right? The demand was high. Um, uh, but uh, Invisible Man or a movie like that would most certainly generate a, a different sized audience, a different kind of audience. But to take the baton from Dwight there, it's, 
That's exactly uh, how we approached it is our job was the same. We still needed people to be aware of and be interested in uh, the movie. And especially uh, the digital consumer is a lot like an old fashioned movie consumer that would sometimes amble up to a marquee and then decide right there what they're going to see. And so in the, in the digital storefronts, uh, you know, as Dwight said, our film is sitting right alongside uh, virtually all the content that has ever existed. And so uh, we needed to make sure that they knew about our movie and that it was worth the, the, the premium. And it's a little, it, it, it's a little similar to, uh, to box office right, right now because there's, uh, for the things we put out, there's not variable pricing. Everything has cost uh, the $19.99 premium just as a ticket doesn't change cost uh, depending on the movie. And so, but I think what's been consistent uh, when I look at it is pretty much the movies that we've been putting out in the digital space are pretty experiential. And what, what, what we mean by that is they've largely been either family, comedies, or horror titles. And those are things that people like to experience, especially when the world outside is, uh, is, uh, is not too inviting. So giving people those kinds of experiences to laugh or to be scared is a pretty potent thing. And, uh, and uh, yes, King of Staten Island does not uh, bear many similarities to Trolls World Tour. Uh, the audience is different. The size of the audience is different. But the experience of, of you know, wanting to laugh and escape uh, is kind of the same, actually. Yeah, uh, it's an interesting to note, and you know I, I, what also strikes me when you're talking about this sort of interesting time and place that we find ourselves at, which may not be what the market is like, hopefully six months from now, a year from now, are the things that you're learning now going to stick in the long term, or do you think a lot of what you're doing is, this is about a particular time and place and may not be applicable to the future? It's a good question, and I wish we absolutely knew the answer. Uh, but I, I will say, you know, we've always been a studio that depends on a portfolio slate uh, of all different kinds of films. And as we kind of glimpse into the murky future of whatever the new normal is going to be in a post-COVID world, we know that people are going to be more discriminating about which movies they go out and see. Uh, it's a little, uh, you know, Jeff Shell uses a, an analogy of, of food. You can cook at home, you can have Postmates, or you can go out to eat. And yes, there's a fast food option to that. But if you're really going to pay and have the experience of going out, you want a different experience than what you can get at home. So we, are, we, will, we believe that, yes, there will be the, uh, the four quadrant for everybody blockbusters that will continue to be the big events. But at Universal, I think we also believe that there will still be room for the movies that were kind of engineered for a single audience to deliver either uh, an identity statement movie or a specific experience that can then grow into a mainstream hit. Uh, it's, been, it's been the key to many of our successes from Get Out to Mamma Mia to Pitch Perfect to uh, Girls Trip in a lot of different ways. So we're gonna continue to believe in that and invest in those. I'd add to, you know, at the most basic level, the pandemic, made us sharpen up some of our marketing messaging where Trolls was a world tour movie. And we talked about that, that the tour comes home and King of Staten Island was a movie where first responders were, were a significant part of that movie. And we, 
we sought to embrace those elements. And, and those are things that you always do in a marketing campaign, no matter what. So the pandemic gave us a different lens to look at these things through. I'd also say tactically remotable campaigns, right? What we learned about having to adjust to talent doing things remotely uh, proved to be something that we'll, we'll continue to do on some level, right? The efficiency of, of having talent do many, many interviews with different kinds of press and even smaller fan-driven but highly engaged press that just don't make the list for a junket. We were able to extend that opportunity. And I think we'll, we'll look at that as something that we continue even when the world gets back to normal. And I think there's one more, sorry, Andy, one more macro change that, that you'll see is we're now all living in an on-demand world, uh, you know, where the consumer, it, when they want, if they want something, what they want it now. They don't want to you wait a long time. And so uh, we were headed in this direction, and it's a cliche, but the pandemic has kind of accelerated all trends. I think from us, definitely, but I, when I look around town, you'll be seeing shorter campaigns. I, I don't think you'll be seeing these year-long campaigns that really begin with a teaser and take it take a long journey uh, i think they'll be much more compact uh we'll all be uh living in a more crowded competitive atmosphere and so the uh the, the really high impact shorter campaigns i think is going to be uh, part of the new the new normal as well wanted to ask uh, one more question on the trolls front uh part of the campaign there was an interesting audio marketing campaign from the podcast episode sponsor spotify that enabled consumers to build these customized playlists uh, dwight can you talk about what kind of uh campaign like that does for a movie like this yeah so i mean we i think the one of the things that we continue to talk about is especially when we're we're trying to be a premium choice is how do we eventize the movie? And, and so innovation is something that we always lean towards. So we had the opportunity, and this was an idea that, that was really led by Simon Hewlett, who runs International. It was a global um, campaign, but, but his team really led it. Uh, in the movie, there's these five music genres that are important, techno, pop, uh, funk, country, and rock. And, on Spotify, if you went to the page that we built on your mobile device or on your, on your desktop, you could indicate the degree to which you preferred any one of those genres, right? You, there's a little slider and you can say, oh, I like pop more than rock, I like techno more than country. And we would on the fly build you a playlist where you could listen to uh, all of those types of music from the Spotify library. Right. And it was really about uh, just tying into the thematic of the movie. And so I go back to this idea of themes. Uh, that was a way to take a partner, apply what that partner does, delivers music in the moment to our movie and get that sort of experiential lift. Got it. And Dwight, you know, you've been working on these kind of digital first campaigns your whole career. You're 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 really the first digital first executive to reach the president level at a studio. Uh, you've done a lot of that work back in your Sony days. You moved over Universal in 2018. What what brought you to the studio? I needed a job. <laughs> that was pretty much 
stuff yet. No, actually, uh, look, you when you when you're trying to figure out what the next move is, and certainly at at the place I was in my career, I got to be a little choosy. Uh, I loved what I saw in terms of the slate, uh, the representation of, on the slate, the way in which this was a company that intentionally had different voices uh, in front of and behind the camera. And that was really noticeable. That, that was something that I saw. And I remember even seeing how provocative that Get Out campaign was before I joined the company. And it was just, it floored me because I was like, wow, that is a risk that nobody's taking. And I, I was just so impressed by it. And Michael and his team were, you know, their reputation was one that I was fully aware of. So it was, it was a great, just, I just got lucky. I got lucky. But, but that specifically was something that you could see if you were looking for it, the way in which diversity was built into the fabric of what this company was, was doing. Got it. Now we're going to take a break to hear from our sponsor. Do you want to be heard? Audio has always been a critical part of every movie, show, and game. So why wouldn't it be the same for your marketing campaign? With the power of streaming audio, you could tailor your message to your audience's context and drive results for your brand. The future of entertainment is audio. Hear the difference at ads.spotify.com. And now back to the show. So we're having this conversation at an interesting time because uh, Universal has a new movie coming out, Freaky, on November 13th. So we one of a number of titles, uh, Crudes, All My Life, uh, that are going to be in this new hybrid strategy. Um, Talk about what got us there, especially starting with, uh, Michael, this pretty unprecedented deal that you struck with AMC, AMC Theaters to shrink the theater window from three months to 17 days. Yeah, it's, uh, and it's directly correlated with, uh, with these Peabot releases, actually. So it's no secret that when we uh, made the decision to uh, shift Trolls away, you know, theaters were still open, uh, but, but, but struggling. And, uh, and we could see the, the trending uh, that was happening there. And so there was a little bit of a public war, uh, you know, uh, that, and some grenades launched our way of that, that we were in some ways diminishing uh, the exhibition and the theatrical experience. But then by uh, proving over the course of the summer, uh, you know, you said it, Andy, that different sizes and audience-driven movies can work in this space it actually opened the door that had been somewhat shut for a long time uh, to discuss with exhibition, uh, just, you know, to, to more accurately address how the consumer behaves in this day and age. And the truth is, and the truth has been for quite some time, that for nearly all movies, 80% of the box office is, uh, is, uh, is achieved in the first three weeks of, uh, of release. And so, uh, you know, we talked a little bit earlier about this on-demand uh, culture that we live in now, and it just started to seem like a little bit of a relic that you would have to wait three months after a, after a film was released uh, to experience it in the home. And so uh, those, those negotiations and those conversations accelerated, and we were able to uh, enter into an agreement with AMC uh, in which they are a, a participant in the performance of Peabody, uh, that we believe will not cannibalize the audience, but will actually expand the audience for, uh, for all of these films. So now we will have a very dedicated uh, theatrical release where our event building and our messaging and everything that we do will uh, be very intentfully driving towards uh, a theatrical opening. 
And then it won't always be at the three-week mark, but we have now the optionality at three weeks to, uh, to bring that movie into the home and continue to play in theaters because especially as exhibition and movie going returns to, uh, to a state of normalcy, we believe, just like uh, the, the food analogy earlier, there will still be people that want to go to a theater even if a film is available at the home and in the home. So from freaky onward, this is going to be, uh, this is going to be our release strategy of this shortened window. It gives us, the marketing team, the chance to really be more efficient and have kind of one campaign leading to the two, uh, to the two optionalities of, of how to consume instead of spending a lot of resources on one, pausing, and then trying to lift that back up. And that's really a benefit of our studio being decisive in this space and not pushing, but pivoting. Uh, you know, I see a lot of these other movies that are going to have to do restarter campaigns uh, when they come into the home, and that's a costly proposition. And so, uh, so we really believe that this is going to, uh, to be uh, increasingly the new normal, not just for us, but hopefully for the industry. Sure. And look, it goes without saying, you guys have got plenty going on in 2020, but the truth of the matter is this all pales in comparison to what you've had to delay to 2021, your biggest franchises, uh, F9, Minions, partnering with MGM on the latest Bond title. Um, what do you even do with these movies in this strange, unprecedented situation where these titles are just sort of sitting on the sidelines? How do you keep them fresh? Uh, you don't. <laughs> you know, uh, our philosophy has kind of been, uh, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a hackneyed phrase, but to keep our powder dry. Uh, and so what we've been doing during the pandemic is uh, getting everything ready. So we have campaign uh, readiness, as, as we call it, because... The, uh, the competitive corridors remain very fluid and things move, are moving up and out and, uh, and we need to be ready uh, for any eventuality. But as we said earlier, campaigns will be getting shorter. And, uh, and so we are really in a good position to, we will definitely know three months from release of those big films, you know, what their destination is. So for the most part, we're looking at, at uh, you know, uh, campaigns that'll be three or four months out from those big releases where we will hit uh, the ignition button again and, uh, and restart those campaigns. Got it. I mean, you were lucky in that, or I should say lucky and smart, in that you guys avoided the pitfalls many other studios faced in 2020 where they've had to move their biggest titles once, twice, maybe three times. But the truth is, who's to say if what dates you've parked these big titles on in 2021 could have to move again as well. So what does that uncertainty do to your planning? <laughs> it throws it into a lot of disarray. <laughs> um, uh, the, 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 the comforting news is we're not going through it alone. Everybody is. And so uh, if it was just Universal can't get their act together, uh, we, we would be facing uh, you know, a real deficit. But we're all experiencing this. And you know our, our advertising uh, partners are experiencing this. So the challenges of getting live sports back, of getting uh, of getting live competition shows back, the places where we really like to do broad reach marketing. It's all a jumble right now, uh, as, as is the competition. And so uh, as we've shown with this Pivot to Peabod, uh, we've got a really flexible and agile group. I'm very lucky to be surrounded by 
people who are uh, as as smart and seasoned as they are, but aren't set in their ways. Uh, the that that doesn't always go hand in hand. So we've been able to uh, to just continue to be creative and 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 get ready, and then have the discipline to wait. I, I would just add to that too. You know, the company has demonstrated a level of decisiveness that has enabled us to do exactly what Michael's talking about, have that campaign readiness. You know, we don't know what's going to happen, but we know we have materials ready to go to deploy. And even, even when you think of the return to production, you know, our company was one that said, let's lead the way, you know, getting Jurassic back into production safely. And the idea was, it's not that you would never have a positive case. It's that there was a plan in case there was one. And I, we're really proud of that. And that's, you know, one of the ways in which we've been able to protect our assets by making sure that, you know, we are decisive and planning and looking at the future, you know, with that big macro lens. So um, it's, been a, it's been an interesting experience, to say the least, for us. And my guess is it's only going to get even more interesting as 2021 approaches and who knows what that will bring, but so far, if 2020 is any indication, you guys are staying nimble. Uh, I wish you best of luck with the upcoming slate, and thanks for taking the time to talk to me today. Thanks Thank so much. Appreciate it. This has been another episode of Strictly Business. Tune in next week for another helping of scintillating conversation with media movers and shakers. And please make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear future episodes. Also, leave a review in Apple Podcasts and let us know how we're doing. Yeah.